Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time, the Roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Portland Trailblazers fans, and welcome to the season-ending edition of Dave and Marlo. I'm Dave Deckard, Marlo Ferguson Jr. Couldn't make it today. Neither did the Trailblazers show up today against the Golden State Warriors. They lost by 50, but that was welcome because it gave the Blazers a 33-49 and record, leaving them in sole possession of the fifth worst record in the NBA and all the lottery odds pertaining thereto. We're going to talk about that a little later, but first let's put a bow on the season. That 33-49 and was with some high points, but there was a lot of pain at the end. We should talk about that just a little bit. The Blazers went 5-20 and 20 in their last 25. The tank was in full effect, and they were very, very good at it. But realistically, Portland wasn't winning after the All-Star break a whole lot, even when they weren't trying to tank. We saw the season go past final milepost by final milepost, each time wondering if the team was going to turn it around. And at no point did they until finally they saw the writing on the wall, gave up, and dove for their better ping-pong ball collection. They got it, and frankly, when we took a survey about this, most people were in agreement that that's what they should have done. But had you painted this story at the beginning of the season or even towards its actual midpoint, probably this would have been a disappointing outcome, even though it was the smart thing to do, probably the right thing to do. It was certainly not what the Blazers expected to do, and that, I think, should not go without marking that even if we're in support of the tank in general it does say some pretty bad things about the state of this team and those who are not frustrated about the actual operation once it came into effect can still be frustrated about the need for it and to understand that you have to understand a couple of things first of all 
the expectations were high at the beginning of the season for good reason. I mean, the Blazers had gotten Jeremy Grant. They got Josh Hart. That's clearly the most talented forward tandem that had been playing next to Damian Lillard since the days of LaMarcus Aldridge. Also, the Blazers had Anthony Simons coming up, a young star who actually did pretty well. Yusuf Nurkic was back. The most solid starting lineup since 2015. Plus, they had some bench depth. They thought they were going to make a run for, well, at least a mid-playoff spot and maybe a high one. That did not end up happening. And there's a certain amount of frustration there in the seasonal lookout. But also, if you look long-term, oh my gosh, this is a difficult period to put at the end of the sentence of the last decade. If the Blazers were to be summed up in a sentence or two, it would basically be this. They were waiting out the Golden State Warriors, hoping to be the next team to take off. When... Lillard came of age in 2015, 2016, and then McCollum grew alongside him. They were right in the middle of Golden State's golden era. And it was kind of understood that Portland was the baby version of Golden State, had one of the best guard tandems in the league, scorers, shooters, that pair had it all. And uh, they were building a front court that they hoped would be reasonably decent. And for the first few years of that progression, they keep kept meeting Golden State in the playoffs and getting knocked out by them. Again, that was understandable, but they were waiting for the Warriors to age. They knew that the Golden State era could not last forever. Now, it lasted longer than a lot of people thought it would, up to and including Golden State being the reigning champions right now. But this was the year Finally, when the dam broke, this was the year that the Blazers had been waiting for. Not only was Golden State mediocre, the entire Western Conference was. I mean, if you look at it, the Western Conference this year is going to be won with 51 or 52 wins. That used to be the mark of just a good team. 50 wins was the threshold for saying you're pretty good. It didn't make you a champion. It didn't mean you were going to come out of the West or the East. It just meant that you were at least a reasonable playoff team. Anything short of 50, and you probably didn't have a chance. But if you looked at a really dominant team, you would want them to win minimum 55, but probably closer to 60 before you said, these are the guys who are really in contention. Well, this year, in the West anyway, there was no team like that. It was a level playing field, as much parity as could be wished for. This was exactly what the Blazers had been lying in wait for. This is exactly what they built toward. And what happened? Finally, the year that they that it came, when they had been waiting for that bus forever and ever, they turned their heads, and when they turned them back, the bus was gone, it had left without them, and a bunch of other people were on it. That has got to be frustrating organizationally. It's not how this story was supposed to turn out. It's, it's a matter of just horrible timing. You held on to your players and you held on to your players all through the Olshea era, anticipating this moment. Then you traded them away. You made the shift and then your moment came. 
That isn't really Joe Cronin's fault. I would argue that Neil Olshay should have anticipated this sooner and probably made some more dramatic moves than he did. I would argue also that Joe Cronin didn't have a ton of choice if the Blazers were going to grow, and at this point, they definitely need to grow. So no blame there entirely, or if there is, the blame is in the past, but you just cannot help but noting the absolute tragedy of this from an organizational point of view. I don't even know how to describe it better than that, other than saying, wow. At this point, there is not a ton to salvage. As we talked about a podcast or two ago, there are so many unknowns, there's so much chaos, that literally the only thing that's super solid in the whole organization is that Damian Lillard is still really, really good because he put up his best statistical year of his career. Whether he stays or not will be a topic for another time, but that is literally the one thing that is going right, which explains some of the angst that people have around the issue of whether Lillard will ask out or not. That's a thin thread. I mean, Lillard himself is an amazing thread, but that's really thin organizationally when you literally have one thing going for you and it's your 32, almost 33-year-old point guard who has been waiting for more than a decade now to have a chance to shine through and just when he's ready to make the leap and the league is ready for him, you're not there. That's trouble. So, as the Blazers go into the summer, I would say the best way to describe their position is what I just said. There's not a lot to salvage here. There's not a lot to hold on to. The time for changes was already passed. We've talked about that. Heck, we talked about that two, three years ago. But really, there is no choice this summer. There is no option to just run it back next year. And why? Well, because as much as you want to talk about injuries and what have you, and they did affect the season, it should not have been this bad. The Blazers, at the end of the year, were in a very, very unfortunate spot. And two caveats. First of all, we know they were tanking the last three weeks. Also, these stats don't factor in the Golden State game, but that last game shouldn't affect them too much. And if anything, it's going to make them worse, which would make our point stronger. But here's the deal with the Blazers. Here's what you need to know, at least statistically. They finished the league 20th in pace. Now, that's not a, a, a pro or a con in itself. How, how fast you play is how fast you play. That's a team choice based on your personnel, coaching, style of play. It's not necessarily that fast-paced is better and slow-paced is not. In fact, some NBA champions have played a half-court game almost invariably and been very successful with it. But mentioning the pace lends you some perspective to these stats. They're going to be a little bit lower in the aggregate when we're talking about like points scored and whatever than average. But 20th is not that low. I mean, it's it's bottom 11, really. It's a lower two-thirds of the league, but it's not like drastic. It's not like they were 30th and these stats are all skewed. So here's where we go. The Blazers were 15th, right in the middle of the league, in offensive efficiency. And they were also middling in points per game, scored, fast break points, and paint points. In other words, they didn't have any real standout offensive categories as far as aggregate points scored. Also, surprisingly enough, they were very mediocre 
in field goal percentage and three-point percentage by the end of the season. They were right in the mushy middle. They were oatmeal, neither good nor bad. They just kind of existed and got you through. That was their offense. The, the biggest distinguishing point, at least in the basic stats, is that the Blazers did turn up ninth overall in free throw attempts per game because Damian Lillard drew a bunch of them. That's to the good, but you know what? Ninth in free throw attempts is not enough to hang a season on. Look at the other side of the ball. The Blazers ended up 27th out of 30 teams in defensive efficiency. And I don't like, you know, the umbrella things. I think even offensive and defensive efficiency are kind of too broad to truly describe things, but that, that stat really does reflect where they were. The Blazers ended up in the bottom 10 of the league in points per game given up, despite their slower pace, in fast break points given up, which completely boggles the mind. I mean, you have to work hard at that if you're slow paced and you're young and you're athletic and the Blazers were bottom 10 in fast break points given up. That one should just make you stand up and it's like nails on a chalkboard. They were also bottom 10 in paint, point, paint points given up. They were bottom five in field goal percentage allowed and three-point percentage allowed. In fact, they were 29th in the latter category. So they did not prevent the opponent from scoring in any way, shape, or form, and they were absolutely horrible in overall field goal percentage and also even worse in covering the arc. And again, this was for a team that was supposed to be defensively better, more mobile, more athletic. It just did not happen. The mantra for Portland for a long time is, we're going to have a top five offense or a top 10 offense. We just need a decent defense in order to support that, and we can contend. What they ended up with is just a decent offense and a bottom five defense. And that describes the disaster of this season. If you're looking for bright points in a team sense, that's going to erase almost all of them. And again, that's not to be depressing. It is what it is. But when you're trying to generate momentum for the offseason and saying, well, you know what, maybe we should keep this or maybe we should continue that, there's not a lot of that to be had. The Blazers need to change radically over the next three months or else the expectations will be probably quite modest heading into next season. And by the way, modest in a way that no streak of two or three weeks is going to overcome. If the Blazers do not A, change, and B, perform, they do not have another year to do this. They will simply sink into oblivion as Damian Lillard ages, which is the big fear of that's happening already. And by the way, a justified fear, given everything I just explained, the change has got to come now. They cannot go into next fall with a story and a song and a promise that this year it's going to change. Almost every bit of evidence we have indicates that it will not. So, I mean, bright spots? Well, Lillard is one. Obviously, Jeremy Grant and Anthony Simons had good offensive seasons. They've got 
a three-point attack that is actually pretty decent. There's a lot of turmoil at the small forward position. There is questioning at the center position. Obviously, Yusuf Nurkic was injured for the latter half of the year. They did not fare well without him, unsurprisingly, since they didn't have anyone else to throw in that position except for Drew Eubanks, who gave his all, but is not a starting center probably in this league long term, let alone your only center. The Blazers are terribly small. We know that. They don't have a lot of depth there. But frankly, at this point, they don't have a lot of bankable depth anywhere. That they're they're having to move up bench players into starting roles, which is leaving their bench even weaker, and they're just not performing. So Portland needs, obviously, to fill in the holes around their top three somehow, and or they have to change that top three in such a way that it becomes nearly invincible, and then the players that fill around will become less critical. One way or another, that's got to happen. Now, one way in which it's speculated this could happen would be trades. And fair enough, and we'll talk about those as the season goes, or the off-season goes on. We've talked about a few before, but as we've said before, that trade had better be significant. And I want to point out, actually, one of the lone bright spots in the last 20 games to illustrate this point. A week ago, as I'm recording this, the Blazers actually had a victory. 107-105, Sunday, April 2nd, against the Minnesota Timberwolves. Now, not only was that the last real bright spot of the season, it also highlighted a caution that the Blazers and their fans would be wise to pay heed to. Because the Blazers aren't the first team looking for a home run trade. Plenty are, including, notably, last year, the Timberwolves. And they cashed in big time for their brand new center, Rudy Gobert. And Rudy Gobert, I think, is a fine player. And, in fact, if Minnesota were to fire sale him, now I don't think they could do it based on just their performance this year because of what they paid for him last year. But, as we record this, also Gobert was filmed having a fist fight with teammate Kyle Anderson in the huddle. If his value to them plummets and they are willing to fire sale him, he could be a very interesting answer for Portland simply because of his fit, but not because of his talent alone. And this is the point I'm going to make. That despite Gobert's accolades, he is probably a second or third tier star in the league. Okay? And his value comes in the specific things that he does at almost a superhuman level, but he is not overall, by himself, the kind of talent that will change your team unless your needs fit exactly those superhuman areas where he performs. Okay? Minnesota took a chance and did not exactly anticipate this correctly. They cashed in on a second or third third-tier star because they were desperate and they needed it. And now look what's happened. First of all, 
they probably are guessing right now whether or not they still want him to come back to the locker room. Second of all, their performance this year has not been stellar even with him. And third of all, they paid a mint for him. And that's the part that hurts the worst. The Blazers dare not get themselves stuck in the same position. And again, I want to divorce this a little bit from Gobert because I think the Blazers could actually take some kind of swing at Gobert if he's cheap enough. But the names that have been mentioned that make a difference are the names that are so obvious that you don't even have to ask twice. Now, I'm skeptical whether the Blazers can do this, but really, the, you know, Joel Embiid would be the number one uh, name that's been out there. I do not think there's any way that the Sixers trade him. I, I, I cannot see that happening, but if there were ever that opportunity, yes, the Blazers should go for that because he's literally probably going to be the reigning MVP or close, and he has absolutely a unique talent in this league beyond argument. And that beyond argument is the reason that this deal closes and the reason that you would offer almost anything in order to get him and put him beside Damian Lillard. No argument possible. As soon as there becomes an argument possible, the Blazers are going to have to think twice. And this is true of your Jimmy Butler's, your Carl Anthony Townses, even if he does recover physically, of a lot of people that the Blazers might be tempted to be content with because they do make the team better on paper. But do they take the team all the way from the oatmeal soup that they're in right now to contention? If that player does not do that self-evidently, then it just becomes a more expensive pacifier to stop the baby from crying. It does not solve the problem that causes the tantrum in the first place. And the Blazers are going to have to be very cautious this offseason that they do not make that kind of move because the temptation will be great. Blazers fans will also have to be patient a little bit, despite what I just said about the moves having to come now. And what I mean by patience is this, not accepting mediocrity as goodness and not saying that they can just run it back, but understanding if they do run it back, they're probably going to have to run it back on the way to a rebuild, and that rebuild would be a better option than mortgaging your entire future, all the draft picks, all the young stars, all the everything, for a player that's not going to do it. Take a look at the Minnesota Timberwolves, what's going on right now, the effort that happened last Sunday when the Blazers beat them with a severely under-talented club that simply played together and with a little bit of energy. And you know what? That team has played like that in almost every game up to the last one. And they got drubbed. I mean, Portland brought the same approach and they got housed, except to the Timberwolves, who could not muster enough teamwork, coordination, fit, and energy even to beat Portland, and their own fans booed them off the court as they left it that day. Do not become that. That said, 
if the Blazers don't do something soon, either a rebuild or building a solid contender. I mean, we've already lost touch with what I would call the winning culture in Portland. Right now, they're just trying to survive. If there's going to be a winning culture ahead, it has to be rebuilt through one of those two avenues we just talked about. They can't continue to stay in the middle not winning. At a certain point, that simply becomes your identity. It has for Minnesota. It did for Sacramento for a long time, and they're still not out of it. You know, we're all rooting for the Kings, but, you know, they're just super happy to have made the playoffs. The standard here was once much higher. Making the playoffs was the expectation, the baseline. Succeeding there was the goal. The Blazers have slipped out of that position, and they need to get back into it at some point. And the longer you wait, the more that non-winning culture gets ingrained, and it's time to do something. Now, here's the other issue, or another issue. Shaden Sharp, another one of the bright spots at the end of the season, ended up scoring 20, almost 30, multiple times. He absolutely was playing within a team concept, certainly more than he was able to at the beginning of the year. Uh, he was doing some extra things like playmaking and passing. I have this argument with Danny Morang sometimes because he thinks playmaking is the last thing to come, and I think more it's defense. I think Sharp showed some playmaking ability, still hasn't shown the defense, but he did show a connection and coordination with his team, even as he was posting career-high stats, that is absolutely encouraging, especially since, you know what? He didn't have a lot of team around him at the time. It was a fractured unit. He still found ways to connect. That was to the good. Also, his individual capability and the ways he's been able to use it have expanded incredibly. He has harnessed that raw kind of eager athleticism into what is increasingly becoming bankable shot making, both from distance, I mean 40% and knock me out, also uh, obviously on his drives, on his pull-ups, on his turnarounds, the guy has got it all in the trunk. It's just a matter of which wardrobe he wants to wear on a given possession. And that is very, very exciting. Shaden Sharp looked very much at the end of the season like he was ready to make the leap into someone who is either a high bench player or perhaps even a starter. I doubt that he will turn into an absolute bona fide star at the beginning of next season, but it's not impossible that in the latter parts of next season, he has learned enough practiced enough, been through enough reps on the court, that he becomes absolutely one of the bright spots in the NBA. Now, the Blazers obviously also have Anthony Simons, who plays shooting guard, which is Shaden Sharp's natural position. Absent a drastic move, they probably will not be able to adjust around that. Now, a drastic move might be, for instance, you trade Yusuf Nurkic and three bench players and a bunch of draft picks for Rudy Gobert. Now you have a center in the middle, 
uh, who provides all your rebounding, all your shot blocking, and now all of a sudden you can play three guards, right? You have Lillard and you have Simons and you have Sharp, and that works out because of the shift that you made and because you run out when you can, and in the half court, well, there's always Rudy either way. Absent that kind of move, then the Blazers are probably going to have to decide between Sharp and Simons. That will be an interesting choice because they value both. I do not expect them to make that choice this summer unless one of those super obvious trades comes up. But I do expect them to consider, and I think Chauncey Billis has already said this, whether Sharp can play small forward next year, whether the Blazers can platoon the three guards where Simons slides over to point guard and Sharp plays shooting guard beside him, or whether they can run a point guardless offense where both of them kind of are half of the playmakers and they stay on the weak side for each other upon occasion, run a lot of actions with their forwards and big men and see if the two can't find a way to manufacture time together. I don't think that's going to work long term. But I don't see the Blazers giving up on either of their young guards if they don't have to or if the right opportunity doesn't present itself. But the, that discussion has now begun, and I think long-term, you're going to ask whether Sharp or Simons is the way to go at shooting guard. That, at least, is one pleasant problem for the Blazers to have. Here's another pleasant problem. As you go in the offseason, you now have the fifth-best lottery odds of any team in the NBA. And you know what? The 10.5% chance that the Blazers have to get the number one pick is not that far off of the 14% chance that the three top teams have. Obviously, the problem is all three of those teams have 14%. Charlotte, the fourth team, has 12.5%. So you got four teams with better odds aggregate. They're around 50% of the chance to get that number one pick. The Blazers have only 10.5%, so it's not great odds, but it is something. Let's break down in case there's any confusion as to what the lottery uh, chances look like. Portland has basically equal odds to get any of the first four picks, 10.5% for each pick. So there's about a 42% chance that Portland will go up to the top four from their fifth position. Now, that's still less than half, but it's not bad. 40% chance if you had to risk everything on it and you had no other choice, you'll take 40%. It probably won't happen, but it easily could. Okay, So 10.5% for one, two, three, or fourth pick. The fifth pick, staying where they are, ironically and counterintuitively, they only have a 2.2% chance of retaining that. So if they don't get a top four pick, they're probably going down. Why is that there? Why only 2.2% chance of staying still? Well, because the league only draws for the top four picks, right? Those are the ones that move. The fifth pick is not drawn for. Also, it's the first pick or the top pick not drawn for. If a team moves up into the top four from a non-four position, it will displace the teams it jumped ahead of. In other words, let's just say, I don't know, the Timberwolves go absolutely crazy and get the number one pick even though they only have half a percentage chance. They would go up to number one 
and Detroit, San Antonio, Houston, Charlotte, and Portland would all bump down one. So Detroit would be number two, San Antonio number three, etc. That's if the other drawings went to chance or remained the same, okay? So every team that goes up into the top four bumps the rest of the teams down. Portland, in that fifth position, is guaranteed to be one of the teams that gets bumped down if that happens. If anyone comes from behind Portland and leapfrog, leapfrogs them, they will be bumped down one slot. And every team that does that will bump them down another slot. So they only have a 2.2% chance of remaining where they are, which is the same as saying there's only a 2.2% chance of the four teams that are higher than Portland getting the top four picks in whatever order they do and no one coming up from behind, okay? nor the Blazers going up. All right, so 10.5 for each of the first four, 2.2 for the fifth pick, and now the odds get big. 19.6, or almost 20%, that they will get the sixth pick. In other words, they will not go to the top four, but get bumped down one. 26.7% to get the seventh pick like they had last year. That's the biggest single percentage for any pick. That would be two teams go ahead of Portland and bump them down. Only 8.7% for the 8th pick and 0.6% chance for the ninth pick, which is as low as they can go. If they get the ninth pick, that's a disaster. That means uh, literally four teams leapfrog them. It's not okay. So anyway, uh, the Blazers will probably, the fat part of the bell curve ends up in the 6th and 7th picks. But there's a full 40% chance that they will go up or 42% chance that they will go up to the top four. So look for picks 1, 2, 3, 4, 6, and seven. That's probably where they're going to end up with the largest chance being pick seven. Now, if the Blazers get the number one pick, they've got to keep it uh, absent, you know, somebody trading Giannis. They they're absolutely have to keep that pick. Other than that, look for the Blazers to try to trade it for the reasons we just mentioned. Because if they're sticking with Damian Lillard, they cannot afford... Yeah, obviously, a high lottery pick is expected to produce. But even Victor Wembignana is going to take a little bit to adjust. I mean, you you wouldn't expect him to be super, super, superstar until years two, three, you know, full-fledged in year four, right? Damian Lillard doesn't have that kind of time. They'll take that chance with Victor because they think he's going to be a generational star like Damian Lillard. But anyone else who's just really, really good they will probably try to trade away for a player who's going to be really, really good that much quicker. Uh, watch. I mean, obviously, the big thing coming up is that lottery drawing in May. That is the next huge thing to watch for. After that, there will be the draft and or trades and or free agency. So let's go over that. We'll give you the primer for this. Now, we're not going to get too granular here with numbers, especially over audio. It doesn't work very well. We can absolutely do a post on this. But just to let you know, the Blazers are absolutely likely to be in a similar position next year that they were in last year. That is well, well over the salary cap, but just below the luxury tax. Now, it's not going to be as easy for them this year as it was last year, but I expect them to finagle their way there. That's with the asterisk if they don't make a blockbuster deal that makes this whole discussion moot. If they go in with a reasonable lineup or kind of the same kind of lineup, even with different players, expect them to be well over the, the cap, 
but just under the tax. Here's why. The salary cap is projected to be $134 million next year, 134, which makes the luxury tax 162, 162. Okay. The Blazers, for 10 players they already have, owe about $110 million in cap obligation to those 10 active players, plus about $4.4 million in dead cap money, which is money that's owed to past players who are gone, but still counts against the cap because they stretched it. That leaves $114 million in obligation against $134 million cap, meaning they would have about $20 million to play with. But here's the thing. They have not filled out the roster. So cap holds for those empty roster spaces are going to take that back down to about $12 million, or I'm sorry, $600. let us try again, $16 million. There we go. They have about $16 million to play with, give or take. That's not enough to sign a really great free agent. It is enough to sign a decent one because it's about $5 million over the mid-level tax exception. But in order to generate that $16 million, they have to not bring back their current free agents, which includes Jeremy Grant, Matisse Thibel, Cam Reddish, a couple others, right? All right. So if you speculate, do you want $16 million to spend? Sure. Do you want $16 million to spend and you think you can get Jeremy Grant, Matisse Thibel, and Cam Reddish or their equivalents? That's obviously ridiculous. So they're not going to clear that cap space. They're going to attempt to sign their own free agents, which is going to automatically take them over the cap. End of story. Jeremy Grant's salary alone would do it. Also, if they brought back Matisse Thibel and Cam Reddish, even on their minimum qualifying offers, that would take away that money. It would be gone. So they don't have any money to spend on free agents, long story short, no matter what their bottom cap line says. They're probably going to try to re-sign Grant. They will probably have to choose Thibel, Reddish, Justice Winslow, Drew Eubanks. They'll probably choose two or three of those, keeping in mind cost. My thought is either Matisse Thibel or Cam Reddish will probably not be re-signed. Jeremy Grant almost certainly will be, and I bet they bring Drew Eubanks back. I'm guessing, guessing Justice Winslow is not. That kind of signing. And you can you could take out Thibel, put in Reddish if you want. You could take out one of those and put in Justice Winslow if you want. I however you slice it, they're probably going to let go of a couple players and they're going to keep Grant and one of those. What that means is that's going to get them just 3 or 4 million short of the luxury tax threshold and they will then fill in with minimum salaries like Drew Eubanks or maybe some other people that they liked from the end of the season and they will fill out the roster that way. What that does is it gives them some flexibility to continue to make trades. It also keeps them away from the tax bracket and paying out and keeps those lucrative bonuses for not going over the tax coming into their coffers, which is the sensible move, just like they did this year, if they're not going to contend. I do not foresee the Blazers paying luxury tax money for a team that ended up with 33 wins and even had they not tanked, probably would have ended up with 38 to 40. You cannot go into the tax with that record. They did not 
prove enough. Are they going to sign Jeremy Grant to $30 million a year, averaged out? I bet that they do that. But that is the risk that they are going to take, and I don't think they will go any further. Nor do I think it's sensible to ask them to go any further unless they can absolutely wow everybody from ownership on down with a trade move that justifies it. Again, think players who are at the tippy top of the league, and again, anticipate that that's probably not really possible. So, what are the steps? We'll summarize. Number one, where's your lottery pick? If it's number one, you keep it and you've just renewed your franchise. You don't have to think about any of this stuff. Go onward. If it's not, if it's below number one, you probably look at packaging a young guard, maybe use of Nurkic to make salaries work. That pick and a bunch of other future picks, and by the way, I expect them to work hard to take that New York Knicks pick that they just got and ask Chicago to take it so that they can free up their current pick obligation in trades and free up future picks. We've talked about that before. I think that they're going to package up a lot of future firsts and this year's lottery pick and probably a guard if they can and probably a center to try to take that absolute home run swing. I do not know that anyone will sit down at the table to talk to them at a level at which that makes sense. And again, Jimmy Butler will not do it for me. Uh, and, you know, Carl Anthony Towns once upon a time would have. That's a sad story. Right now, that would not do it for me either. And I'm surprised to hear myself saying it, but watching him and looking at how this is progressing, you have to say no. You have to get a player that is worth that. If you cannot get a player that is worth all those picks, here's your next decision point. How do we begin to rebuild? And you know what? You almost have to put Damian Lillard in his own little box, and you have to say, okay, Dame will be what Dame is, and we would love to have him stay, and we're going to keep him as long as possible, but he's a non-such on this team. He's unique. He's in his own category of 30-plusness. Around him, we are going to start to rebuild. And what that means is, other than Jeremy Grant, we're probably going to transfer into younger players. We know we already got Simons. We know we already got Sharp. Is Yusuf Nurkic really of utility to this team if it's going to win, you know, 45 games tops and has just won 33 and might get to 38? I don't think so. Obviously, we need a center. We know that. But Nurkic probably is not the guy. Either way you go. So... Can we move him for some young prospects or for something that makes sense? Can we retool in a way that three years from now, we are now capitalizing on Anthony Simons or Shaden Sharp or whomever we keep if we cannot get superstars in trade for them? And I think you have to let the Lillard question settle itself. If under those conditions, Damian Lillard decides that he wants to leave, I think that you allow that to happen and you take a consolation prize in that his relationship with Portland will always be good, that you've given him everything you could have and that you're sending him to a better future, at least in terms of wins and losses, than he would have gotten here. Plus, you have the consolation prize of all the picks and young players that you can then get back for him. So that's probably not the worst solution at this point. If Damian Lillard wants to stay, all to the good, you have your franchise face, you keep him a blazer for life, and you go with that. Either way, 
I do not think that the team can couple its future to Lillard unless they can make that superstar trade. In other words, they've got to do what they've got to do and let Dame decide if he wants to participate. Now, there's also been some question about that. And I, I hate, I mean, he said over and over again that he's staying for now. And every time that he says it, he says it the same way. Basically, staying for now, want to win, not really interested in a rebuild, but staying and want to want to be here. Okay, that's fine. We keep asking the question internally, has the situation changed? He keeps saying no until he says it has changed then we should probably leave that alone. But I will say this. There, there is some question about, well, how will we know he demanded a trade or can he come out and demand a trade? And I'm, I'm thinking, no, that you probably will not ever see Damian Lillard full-on come out and say, I want to be traded. I demand a trade right now. First of all, that's not good for him because his brand has been built on loyalty. Obviously, he has a huge following in Portland. Now, he's going to have a following wherever he goes. People mistake this, too. Nobody but Portlanders will be really upset about him not having loyalty. The whole rest of the league says he should have gone long ago. But that said, it's retaining that image for him, I think, is still important and useful. And frankly, I think that's kind of who Dame is. So he's not going to probably do an about-face publicly and say, you know what, I demand a trade now, you guys stink. Nor would the Blazers want him to, because that doesn't look good for them either. If that were to happen, he kind of looks bad, at least for a minute, and they look bad. However, all he has to do is make it known behind the scenes, you know what, you should probably think about moving me. I am not as satisfied here. I'm not going to push it. I'm just letting you know that the dominoes are starting to fall and they're going to end up going the other way. At that point, you will hear the Blazers say, we think that we are ready to invest in a rebuild. We don't think that we can continue on with this lineup and support Dame the way he should be supported. So we're not in a hurry. We're not desperate. We're going to keep him for as long as we can. And if something comes up that changes this, we'll change it. But you know what? We need to go younger. And therefore, we're going to honor Damian Lillard by making his name available or at least listening to trade offers for him. And if that happens, I think it's going to be more congruent with the aims of Lillard himself and of us. That's how that's going to happen. And what happens then? Damian Lillard is honored and looks good, and the team also looks good. So it makes no sense to, to hear an overt trade demand. It would make a lot of sense if at some point this team pivots, but you're going to hear it from them first. You are not likely to hear it from him. Until that happens, though, we have no indication that it's going to. For right now, it's not, and that's where Blazer fans should, should concentrate. The whole national media and probably some of our local media cohorts are going to spend the summer fretting about this. And some of the media and a lot of the fan base are going to spend the summer pushing back against the people who are fretting about this. That is a near complete waste of everybody's time. 
The decision is not in the trailblazers' hands necessarily. At least they've not shown any indication that they'll take it in their hands so you can forget about them preemptively trading him from what we've heard. The decision is not in the hands of the fans or the media. It's only in Damian Lillard's hands, and nobody can control that. What you should be arguing about and thinking about is the things that you can control. What do you do with that lottery pick? How can you negotiate the pick owed to the Bulls? How far are you willing to go above the cap or tax line? And what is your realistic expectation of this lineup going forward, including the growth potential of Shaden Sharp and Anthony Simons, whether they can play together, whether you have enough players around them, and Damian Lillard and Jeremy Grant, and or what kind of players you need to acquire if you're going to make that lineup work. Those are the things we should be arguing about. Leave the Damian Lillard thing alone. It's no longer in anybody's hands but Dame's. So there's your basic primer finishing up the season and heading into the next one. I'm sorry that it wasn't better. I mean, we all expected that record to be inverted at the beginning of the year, 49 and 33. And oh, how high in the standings the Blazers would have gotten if they could have pulled out that 50-win season. It didn't happen. 33 victories, 49 defeats. We will take the uh, Easter candy of the lottery as a consolation. Hope for the number one pick. That will be super exciting, at least, on that lottery drawing day. And in between now and then, we'll talk about other options, other players, and anticipate the big event. For now, we are going to bid you adieu. Thank you for being with us all season. And we will see you next week and hope for better days ahead.